Well, I invite you to turn to Psalm 119, verses 49 to 56. We have uh, spoken about here on several occasions the means of grace, uh, the Word of God, and prayer, and the sacraments. And, and I just thought we're going to have a sermon on the Word of God. And I hope you pick up on when you're worshiping the pattern of our service and its focus on the Word of God. We begin our service quoting the Word of God, reading responsively. Our hymns are based on the Word of God, and so we sing the Word of God. We pray the Word of God. We give glory to God as His Word instructs us. Our confession is based on the Word of God. We read from the Psalter, and our musical offering is based on the hymn that if you look through it, you'll see is based on the Word of God. We read the Lord's Prayer. We take up an offering as the Scripture commands. We read the Scriptures. And now you're going to hear the preached Word of God. And so the, uh, the emphasis of the service is on uh, the Word of God, and therefore the emphasis of the service is on God Himself. We'll hear now God's Word. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked for, who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Well, Father, as you speak to us now through your word, send your spirit to illumine our hearts and minds that we may receive it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we've worked our way through Psalm 119, we've looked at it for several weeks, two truths concerning the psalmist have become evident. One, it's obvious in Psalm 119 that the psalmist loves, delights in, and obeys God's Word. It's come up over and over again. And the the second thing is that his love, delight, and obedience to God's Word results in scorn, results in contempt, persecution, derision from the enemies of God's Word. One writer says, Psalm 119 is spoken out of fierce, ongoing struggle. That same writer, his name's David Paulison. Uh, David Paulison has passed, but he wrote an excellent article some years ago on Psalm 119. And Paulson says, struggle threads through every one of the 22 sections. As you recall, there's 22 sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in this uh, psalm. And throughout every section, we hear the struggle the psalmist is facing. 
And so Paulison asked the questions, what, what does this man find so, why does this man find life so difficult? What's so troubling, so painful, so threatening, so dangerous for the psalmist? And, and he answers that question, speaking in the thir- first person, as if he's the psalmist. And he says, this is the struggle. First, I face something terrible inside myself. I, I recognize I'm a sinner. My own sinfulness threatens that God would destroy me. I have that. And then second, I, I face something terrible coming from outside of me, the sins of others, and all of life's troubles threaten to destroy me. Something's wrong within me. Something's wrong with what happens to me. Either way, whether sin or hurt, I suffer threats of pain because of this uh, destruction, shame, and face even death. And so in the midst of that, because of that reality, what I do is I talk candidly to God about my double affliction. I I deeply feel the inner and outer evils that I face. See, see, evil is both in us and and around us. It's inside us and and, and it comes upon us. It, It perverts us from within and hurts us from without. And the psalmist embraces this. He understood it. He's not in denial. He knows the condition of his own heart, and he knows the condition of the world. He knows that life is not easy because sin has simply turned this world upside down. And so the sins of self and the, the sins of others cause him to cry out to God about the Word of God. And so when I say throughout this series uh, even as I began the introduction, talk about the word that this is a psalm about the word of God. What I mean when I say that, what is being emphasized here is this is a psalm on the word of God in light of living in the midst of life's storms. It's a psalm on the word of God in light of living in, in the midst of life's threats and in, in the midst of life's pain. A psalm on the word in the midst of suffering. A psalm on the word in the midst of facing death. And so for us to fully appreciate the psalmist's high view of Scripture and its importance, we really need to go down into the pits of despair with him, as it were. We have to get a sense of the threat that he is facing. We must feel the pain and anguish that he suffers from from the scoffing and the insults. We must know the heart-wrenching struggle, the struggle he experiences as he gets a glimpse of his own heart even. We need to identify with his affliction, which he tells us about in verse 50. We must be gripped by the, the hot indignation, he says, that seizes him because of the wickedness in the world, which he tells us in verse 53. And see, that's when, when we come to grips with that, when we have identified with that, that we, uh, that we will know the full value of God's word. It's in the midst of suffering that the worth of Scripture is fully discovered. I mean, you can study it, and you should. We can, we can know something about the Word of God theoretically. And we can study it. We can memorize it. People have. But it's not until we are in the, in the heavy darkness of some struggle that, that the, the light of Scripture shines brightly in our souls. And, and see, when that happens... 
When you experience what many have called the dark night of the soul, when it seems like the world is, is caving in around you, and then in the midst of that struggle, you, you reach out to God in the Word, that's when you find comfort in the midst of misery. That's what the psalmist does. He's drowning in the sea of his suffering, and he finds comfort in the Word. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life in my affliction. Verse 52. When I think of your rules from of old, I take Comfort, O Lord. Comfort. Comfort in the Word. The the word comfort here in Hebrew has this idea of breathing deeply. It's like a physical display of one's feelings. And so in the midst of all his struggles, those from within and those from without, the psalmist is saying, look, I'm strengthened. I have cause for consolation which is the actual meaning of the word comfort in verse 52. And and, and so what he's doing is he's breathing in, as it were, deeply the emotion of comfort in the midst of his affliction. You know, being able to find consolation in some way, being able to breathe a, a sigh of relief in the midst of a struggle being able to find comfort in the midst uh, of all the things that that bombard us in this life, it's actually the longing for everyone. Believer and unbeliever both face trials. We all face trials in life. Christians face them. Non-Christians face them. The only difference is where we locate our comfort. You know, the drunk looks to the bottle for his comfort. The greedy looks to the wallet for his comfort. Uh, The materialist looks at his possessions and he finds comfort in them. The intellectual says he looks to his intelligence and he finds comfort in his own knowledge. But see, the the Christian doesn't look inward. They look elsewhere. They, They have a different sort of comfort. Their comfort is supernatural. And, and, and we find it by remembering, by remembering. The idea of remembering is mentioned three times here. If you look at verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from an old, the word think is the word remember. Verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. And so the psalmist is saying, look, during difficult times, I find comfort when I remember certain things, four things to be exact, and that's what we're going to look at. When I'm drowning in the sea of despair, I remember God's faithfulness, verse 49. I remember God's promises, verse 50. I remember God's past judgments, verse 52. And I remember God's name, verse 55. And so we're going to look at those, faithfulness, promise, judgments, and name. First, remembering God's faithfulness. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope, he says in verse 49. Now, when the psalmist prays for God to remember, he's praying for God to do him good. He's praying for a blessing. We see this throughout the Scripture. We read in Genesis 8, God remembered Noah. 
In verse 1 there, it says, God remembered Noah and delivered him from the flood. God remembered Abraham. He brings him out of judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, 29. says, God remembered Rachel by giving her a son, says Genesis 30. When Israel was in bondage in Egypt, we read that God remembered what? He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Exodus 2. Psalm 9, verse 12 tells us we are told that God remembers the afflicted. Psalm 136, we read, It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. God remembers. We're not saying God's recalling. It's not like, good thing you prayed. He would have forgot about that. God knows all things. He never forgets. Remembering for God is relating to people in a special way. That's the idea of remembering. When God remembers, he relates to his people in a special way. In each of those above texts, the idea is the same. God remembers in the sense of taking action. He, he, he remembers Noah during the flood and saves him. He remembers Abraham and what happens? He saves him from Sodom and Gomorrah, so on and so forth. In each of those texts, um, it's, a, it's a, got a sense of remembering by taking action. Action on his promises and then doing good to us and blessing us. And so God remembers in order to bless And this is why it's important to remember God's faithfulness. The passage here speaks of God remembering, and yet it requires us to remember his faithfulness. See, God will never go against his word, ever. And and if we cry out to him, he will hear our prayers, and he will do us good and bless us and comfort us in our affliction. It's a promise. It's only when we remember that God is faithful that we will be willing to approach his throne and then claim his promises. And that's the second point. We must remember God's promises. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Verse 49 and 50 go together. The psalmist was comforted by the promises of God found in his word. Now I want you to consider just a few I'll just look at the book of Psalms, obviously not the whole book of Psalms, but, but just some of the promises that the psalmist would have had memorized, um, uh, you know, these words that we have now written. I, I think as you read them, you'll see why he would find comfort here and why we can have comfort in our affliction. Psalm 2 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's a promise. You're blessed if you take refuge in God. Uh, Psalm 4, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Uh, The Lord will hear when I call to him. That's a promise. He will hear. He hears me. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Psalm 5, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's Psalm 9. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Psalm 55, 22. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk and is blameless. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Psalm 84. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103. 
The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. It's a promise. Psalm 128 it is. The Lord, here's the final one. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. All those promises, and many more, of course, but they're just a few, have given comfort to the psalmist. Do you know those promises? Have you memorized those promises? Are you aware of them? They speak to the psalmist's enemies and address that, but all the wicked will be destroyed. They speak of his sin. You can be forgiven. They speak of his affliction in the midst of his suffering, and they speak to comfort, the comfort toward his soul that he needs. He knew that not one of those promises will fail. Oh, he was in the midst of it, He was struggling, but he knew it would never fail. The word of God always proves true. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him, Psalm 1830. He would have known that. He would have known the words of Joshua 21. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass, Psalm 2145. He knew that all the good promises of the Lord never failed. For those who walked in with God in the past, and he knew it would be true of him in the present. And, and that leads us to our third thing we must remember, God's past judgments. Look at verse 52. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Another translation is, when I remember your judgments of old, I take comfort, O Lord. This, this refers to the providences of God concerning his people and throughout redemptive history from the very beginning, both in mercy to them and in justice against their persecutors. See, the psalmist here is saying, look, I can look back on history and I can see how God rescued our people and, 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 and he judged their enemies. Oh, I'm sure it was difficult in the midst of Egypt. I'm sure it was difficult in the midst of the the wanderings. I'm sure it was difficult at Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure it was difficult when Joseph was in in Egypt. Uh, But but think of what God had did. And he can remember that. He He could look back at the life of Abraham and how God rescued him from Sodom and Gomorrah. He could look back on the life of Joseph and how God in his providence made him the prince of Egypt. He could look back on God's judgment of Egypt and his rescue of Israel through the Red Sea, and he could take comfort in that. He could look back on the story of Joshua and how God gave Israel the land, and he could be comforted. He could go back through all the plethora of stories over and over from redemptive history and be comforted. Why? Because he knew that God is the God he served, and God never changes. He knew he was serving the same God. He knew that the God who loved him no less, yet God loved him no less than he loved Abraham. He loved him no less than he loved Joseph or Moses or Joshua or David. And so the past redemptive acts of God, when remembered, should give us comfort here, now. As surely as God saved Egypt, I saved Israel out of Egypt, that is, He will save us. It's the same God. Well, now, fourth, if we're going to have comfort, we need to remember who that God is. We need to remember him in our affliction. We need to remember his name. Look at verse 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. 
The name of God is uh, Jehovah, it's Yahweh, it's the name I am. One writer explains this name I am, it, I, it means I am present. I am, I am actively present. I can do what I choose when I choose to do it. It speaks not only of God's existence, but of, of His eternality. That it speaks of His sovereignty. It speaks of His power and God's dynamic working out all His will in this world. In the book of Psalms alone, there are more than 100 references to the name of the Lord. We are told we are to love his name, Psalm 5, verse 11. Sing praises to a name, Psalm 7, Psalm 9, Psalm 19, and glorify his name, Psalm 29. We're told that through his name, we triumph over our enemies, Psalm 44 and 54. And therefore, we should always call upon the name of the Lord for help, Psalm 116. See, to remember his name is to encourage our hearts to trust him. It, it's to encourage us to obey him, to, to not be afraid. Psalm 9 says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, the reason why the name of the Lord is so important is because what it does is it tells us who he is. It speaks to his person. By remembering the name or names of the Lord, we're remembering the character of God. He's called, for example, Elohim. He's the creator God. El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. He's called El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's called Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Raha, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present and near. And all of these names and many more, there's just a few, speak to who God is. They they tell us by his name, he is almighty. By his name, he he is all sufficient. He is all knowing. He is all loving. He is all powerful. He provides for us. He watches over us. He will care for us in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our suffering. That is his name. And and so to remember God's name is is to ask God to remember us and work on our behalf. See, what we must do, when we must do this is in the darkness of life's storms, and we're afraid, as verse 55 says, I remember your name in the night. We must do this when we're lonely and discouraged. We, we, We must do this when we are weary and burdened with life's concerns. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, Proverbs 18.10. And so if you want to find comfort... In the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your suffering, you must learn and meditate upon the names of God. You must, as the psalmist says, run to them and be safe. We have God's faithfulness. Remember it, verse 49. We have God's promises. Remember them, verse 50. God's past judgments, his redemptive history, verse 52, and God's name, verse 55. Now, if I were to apply this, I, I, I would hope that most of it is pretty obvious. You pray back the promises of God, maybe memorize the promises of God so you can pray them back, he, he, knowing that he is faithful and will hear our prayers. You can learn the word of God, and by re, um, studying the Bible, you learn his past deeds. That's obviously important. 
Uh, meditating on his names, of course, that's important. Let me suggest this as a practical application. Pick up a book by a, a, a faithful author on the attributes of God. I have about 50 books on this. I was started to read one the other day, and I, had, and I just tossed it because it was more questioning if we can believe anything the Bible said. I, I'd rather not learn that way. Pick up J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's a classic. It's a great book. There's a gentleman named Mark Jones who has a book called God Is and Knowing Christ. That's a, they're both great. You've heard me mention Sinclair Ferguson over and over again. He's got a book called The Heart of God. It's only 144 pages, and, and, and it's very readable. Now, I have a top 10 list of books that nobody's ever asked me about, but I have it, and one of my favorites is The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, and it's excellent. See, I don't know what your present struggles are. I, I don't know what you're facing in life, what sin you're trying to deal with from within or from without. Maybe you're just worn out. You're lonely. You don't know what to do and you want to give up. Maybe you're facing a relational issue. In one sense, all of our problems are relational. Our relationship to one another, our relationship to church, our relationship to work. You could fill in our relation, our relation. And it just doesn't seem to resolve itself. Maybe you have a health issue. Whatever it is, my suggestion is you dive deep into the Word of God. I, uh, if you have a health issue, I can't help you any other way. I'm not a doctor in that sense. But I, 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 can, I can say to you, look, along with getting help physically, prepare your heart spiritually. Dive into the Word and, and, and those books that I mentioned. The knowledge of God contained in those books and particularly, obviously, in the Scripture will change your whole perspective that, that's the thing. The more you know God, the, the more you will be able to join the psalmist. You'll be able to join the psalmist and sing praise to God in the middle of your suffering. I want you, look at verse 54, look at verse, look there. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. How's this psalmist sojourning been going? Affliction, you know, facing death, all these things. Imagine... Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is I'm going through, whatever struggle you're facing, imagine being able to sing in the midst of that struggle when you're facing it with joy. To sing with joy. That's what the knowledge of God gives you. That you can rejoice in your sufferings. It doesn't mean you welcome them. Oh, I love this. This is, oh, great, another problem. I couldn't wait to praise God. That's not the point. The point is, throughout this psalm, he's facing these things. He's asking the Lord to take him away. But in the midst of it, he can trust God because he knows God. He knows his name. He knows he's faithful. And so he can sing for joy. Somebody said to me after the second, first service, because we know we win it may get terrible, but we know we win. We read a confession every Sunday. Our third week confession is the Heidelberg Catechism. One of my favorite questions and answers, what is your only comfort? We've been talking about comfort. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the psalmist said, I mean, and, and, the, and the, excuse me, the catechism says, 
I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, everything I just said said that the way you find comfort is remembering, is remembering. And it doesn't mention remembering in the the catechism. You know, I could write it off. It's only a catechism. It's not God's Word. But it goes on to say that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sin with His precious blood, and He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, and He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. What are we remembering? Well, here it is. All the comfort of remembering God's faithfulness, all the comfort of remembering His promises, all the comfort of remembering His redemptive acts, all the comfort of remembering His name flow out and and, and find their fulfillment in our relationship with Christ. We can only apply the comfort that's being offered by the psalmist to ourselves if we know Christ, if we're saved by Christ. It's only those who are in Christ, only those who are united to Christ who are saved. The psalmist looked forward to that. He looked forward to it. He believed the promises. Christ hadn't come yet. We look back on it. See, for us, we need to remember Christ's faithfulness. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, 2 Timothy 2.13. We need to remember Christ's promises, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and through Him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 1.20. We need to remember Christ's past redemptive acts. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And we need to remember a name that the psalmist didn't know fully. He couldn't know it fully until the Messiah came. He hoped for him. What's the name? The name of Jesus. Think about that one for a moment. I'll close with this. If the psalmist could find comfort in the name or names of God, how much more should we find comfort in the name of our Savior living this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection? You see, in the name of Jesus, you are given the right to become a child of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's in the name of Jesus that you are saved. Salvation is found on no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. It's in the name of Jesus that you were justified and sanctified, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that you're given life. But these are written that you may believe that Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, John 20. It's in the name of Jesus that you are forgiven. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins in the name of Jesus that you're baptized. Repent and be baptized, everyone in you, in the name of Jesus, Acts 2. It's in the name of Jesus that you are to pray. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Everything you do, everything you do, 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, Colossians 3.17. And finally, think of this. It's at the name of Jesus that you will someday bow. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. See, that's why the name of Jesus is so precious. It points us, as it does the names of God and the Father in the Old Testament, it points us to his person and work. And that's why the the catechism's question and answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death, is Jesus. I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it's all in him. Everything we just mentioned, remembering God's faithfulness. Remember the faithfulness of Jesus. Remember in God's promises, they are all yes in Jesus. Remember the past redemptive acts of God and the death and the resurrection, the past work of Christ. Remember his name. I can say with all the authority of God that there is more comfort found in the name of Jesus than all the riches in all the world. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that became flesh, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in his name we receive life. We thank you that in his name you allow us to approach the throne of grace. We thank you in his name that we have a hope and a future. I pray for those, Lord, who don't know him personally that way. Grant them repentance that they may believe. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.